Hope you're enjoying our summer series. We are in the middle of a summer series uh, in the book of Psalms, and I hope you're having um, fun. I personally have enjoyed uh, all the sermons that we've had so far, and uh, because the book of Psalms is different, isn't it? It's not um, a historical account like the narratives, or um, it's not a theological treatise like an episode, or it's not a, a proclamation of judgment or promise like prophecy, but um, they are a collection of poems. They are songs. They are meant to be sung more than just read. Um, I don't know if you remember when Josh opened up the series during his first sermon, uh, he read uh, some of the so- lyrics of songs, of modern-day songs. It kind of felt weird because they were not, the lyrics of a song are not meant to be read. Uh, they are meant to be sung. And uh, especially the book of Psalms contains vivid imagery, and it's repetitive, and it's intended to affect us emotionally. And at the same time, they are not just any song or just any poem, but they are poems and songs about God. And um, it's written by many authors, like David's primary one, but others. As they've gone through various life experiences, they write these songs about God and to God as prayers. So it, it almost, when you read them, they invite you to join in and make it your own. They give us language for our own praise and prayer. And so today we are going to look at Psalm 23, which is one of, if not the most familiar and beloved psalm of all psalms, right? Many of you probably memorized this psalm, this psalm uh, when you were young, and it's also a go-to passage for ministers when they are ministering to someone um, going through a difficult time or facing uh, a terminal illness or even uh, during funeral services. Uh, Charles Spurgeon calls it the pearl of psalms, David's heavenly pastoral. And even um, sometimes unbelievers are familiar with this song. It's, it's like the well-trodden path that you come across when you're going on a hike. It's not one of the least traveled ones, but the one that everyone goes. There's, it's full of dirt, no grass, right? It's a well-trodden path. So speaking of trails, one of the uh, favorite places we love to visit during, vin- uh, during summer is a small uptown uh, up north called Ely. And we've been there a couple of times. Our very first time was actually in the middle of COVID. So during one of these trips, we met this guy who worked for the owners of the place where we were staying. And he was from the area. He grew up there. So he knew everything about this area. And so he came along on our hikes. He gave us guided tours on pontoon. And um, so he would share these tidbits along the way. And, you know, things about the caribous and the elks and the wolf and the bears, and things that we would not have known or paid attention to uh, if, we had gone, if, we, if we had gone on our own. And so we really enjoyed having him during uh, the trip. So I'm sure many of you had similar experiences. When you go to a new place, a uh, place that is not familiar to you, you know, it's always good to have a guide that comes along with you, right? It's good to have someone who can tell you the places not to go to or the places that you should go to or the food that you should try and, and things like that. And so in today's psalm, 
um, Psalm 23, David is talking about someone who is with him. Uh, not just a, a guide, a tour guide, but a guide for his life, who leads him, who keeps him from going down the wrong paths, and he calls him his shepherd. Now, this idea or this metaphor that God as a shepherd is very special in the Bible, it's not just something that's localized to Psalm 23. This idea echoes and reverberates throughout scriptures. And, but we're going to start here and we look at some of the other passages as well before we finish today. But before we jump in, just a little bit of context. Usually, you know, some of the Psalms have superscription that gives us uh, the historical context or the background of that Psalm. Uh, for example, last week, uh, past, uh, Psalms 142 was written when David was in a cave. Uh, it's possible when he was running away from Absalom or running away from Saul. And we know the context of Psalm 51, uh, David's uh, song of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. But unfortunately, Psalm 23 is just says one thing as a superscription, a Psalm of David. So there's not a lot of context when David wrote this Psalm. Did he write this when he was actually a shepherd? Or did he write it towards the end of his life as he was looking back over his life? But we do know that David himself was a shepherd when he was young in his father's house. And God called him later to lead the nation of Israel as um, their king. And this is what Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72 says. He, God, chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing eaves, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people. Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. So David was intimately familiar, uh, you know, about what it means to be a shepherd and what all the shepherd does for his sheep, because he was one. And he was also familiar with the tendencies and the behavior and the nature of sheep. So having this deep and intimate knowledge from his own life he pens this beautiful poem, Psalm 23. Let's read the psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Psalms, and especially Psalm 23. Father, there is so much richness in this psalm. And even as we meditate on this for the next few minutes, would you reveal your heart 
the shepherd's heart towards us. Father, we pray that you would draw us close to you and help us to be reminded, like the song that we sang, that we are not our own. We are yours. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the book of Psalms, we come across many words used to describe God. For example, you know, you've heard these phrases, the Lord is my refuge, my portion, my fortress, my rock, my salvation, my light, my shield, my strength, my stronghold. I mean, these are some amazing word pictures, aren't they? They communicate powerfully how the author of the psalm experienced God in his own life, or, and it's, or in other words, they are exp- and other times they're expressing their hope and trust in God. So the book of Psalms and these descriptions invite us to articulate our own description of God. So if I ask you this question, if the psalmist addressed God and used these words to describe him, what would be one word that you would use to describe God? How would you fill this sentence or finish this sentence? The Lord is my blank. Think about that for a moment. And as you think about this, let's hear what David has to say in Psalm 23. In verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. So who is this Lord that David is referring to? It's not just a general uh, word about God. It is Yahweh. The word Lord is Yahweh in Hebrew. It is the name that God gave to the Israelites through Moses, the great I Am. God revealed this name first to Moses in the burning bush when he was in the wilderness. And then later, when God entered into a covenant with His people Israel on Mount Sinai, He entered into a covenantal relationship using this name, the Lord, Yahweh. So this was a very special name. It's not just a general uh, word that, that talks about God. It's the covenantal God of Israel. So let's look at what did David know about this Yahweh to call Him as His shepherd. You know, he, David, being a Jewish boy, he probably learned um, about Yahweh from Torah, the laws of God given to Moses, which is recorded in the first five books of the Bible. So let's read David's Bible and look at a couple of passages so we can better understand who he's talking about when he says, Yahweh is my shepherd. So first, listen to the words of Moses to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. It says this, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. So here in this passage, we see that the Lord, our Yahweh, owns the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. They belong to Him. And David was also familiar with the plagues of Egypt that God sent as judgment and the story of the exodus of Israel. Now let's look at the words of Moses to King Pharaoh in Exodus 9, verse 29. Moses said to him, Pharaoh, 
as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, Yahweh. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So here we see that the intended purpose of this plague or hail and thunder in this case was not just to perform a miracle for miracle's sake, right? God is trying to prove through Moses to Pharaoh that the earth belonged to the Lord. That's why the purpose statement, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So Yahweh is demonstrating his ownership, his kingship and rule over all, and to show to Pharaoh that he was greater than all of the Egyptian gods. He is the real God. Amen? Now, why does Yahweh claim authority over all these things? Why does this earth and heaven and all these things belong to him? Because he created them. And let's look at now a couple of passages in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 33, David says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And some version says, the starry host. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And so all of these things belong to Yahweh because he created them by the word of his command. All the heavens, the earth, and all their starry host was created by Yahweh. You see, the sun is the closest star to the earth. And they say there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. And in the known universe, there are 100 billion galaxies. And that's a billion trillion stars. And Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5 says this, He, Yahweh, counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. So Yahweh, the Lord, created them. He knows them. He upholds them by his power. And so that's why David begins the psalm by saying, the Lord, Yahweh, this God is my shepherd. Amen? So Yahweh was both powerful, but he was also personal because he had entered into a covenant relationship with the Israelites. And that's why David says, I shall not want. So what is David saying here? He is declaring hope in Yahweh. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack anything. Now, this does not mean that he's going to be the wealthiest person on the planet, but all he's saying is, because Yahweh is my shepherd, I'm not going to lack what I need. I fully trust in him to take care of me and all my needs. Now, maybe uh, you are here today with a lot of things on your mind that's bothering you, that's worrying you, that's causing you to fear. Fear of future. Fear of your kids, your health, your finances. But I love this song by Casting Crowns, Oh My Soul. And in that song, the first couple of lines of the chorus says this. Oh my soul, you are not alone. There's a place where fear has to face the God you know. 
Isn't that amazing? Like that's what songs can do, this powerful imagery, right, that cannot be articulated otherwise. You know, imagine the worry or the fear that you are facing if it can take a form and faces Yahweh. What will happen? It'll be like a mouse that scurries away when the lights are turned on. There is no chance for our fear or worry when it stands in front of our God. You know, worry, is, worry happens when we are meditating on our problems, but we need to meditate like David on our God. Amen? Now, before we look at verse 2 through 5, let's look at the last verse of the psalm, verse 6. You will notice that the last verse of the psalm also ends with a couple of I shalls. So the psalm starts with verse 1, where David says, I shall not want. And verse 6 has two I shall statements. So it's almost like a sandwich. Verse 1 and verse 6 is the bread, and verse 2 through 5 is the meat. So it's one of the patterns you see in Hebrew poetry. So David is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, in verse 1. And then when it verse six, verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So again, these are declarations of hope and trust in Yahweh. But David is not saying that because the Lord is my shepherd, good things will follow me. But rather, he's saying, the goodness of the Lord and His mercy will follow me. You see, it's God's goodness, not what David thinks is good for his own life. It is what is good and pleasing in God's eyes that will follow David all the days of his life. You know, in the book of Genesis, when God had made everything, He looked and said, it is good. So it's that idea of what is good in God's eyes for our lives. And His goodness will follow Him. The second thing He says is Yahweh's mercy. So what does this mean? This word mercy that David uses here is the Hebrew word hesed. That is translated using other words like steadfast love, loving kindness, I encourage you to watch this Bible project video on Hesed, and they call it Loyal Love. So if you Google Bible project Loyal Love, you'll find this video. This word is not very easy to translate because it has a combination of ideas. It has this idea of love. It has this idea of generosity. It has this idea of enduring commitment. So the way I like to think about this word is the willingness of God to patiently endure in a relationship. You know, if you think about any relationship, sooner or later, things will go wrong, right? There will be disagreements, there will be hurts, there will be unfaithfulness. But the loyal love of God does not give up easily. You and I might give up on a relationship. But God's mercy keeps him committed in his relationship with his people, even though they constantly sin against him. Now, just think about this for a moment. Until we die, every single day of our lives, 
we will do things that hurt God. We will disappoint Him. So now imagine the magnitude of His graciousness and His loving kindness to be patient with us, to forgive us and stay committed to us. And that's why it's so hard to use one word. And so we have to come up with all these different words to communicate this idea of steadfast love, the loyal love, mercy of God, loving kindness, His enduring commitment, His enduring love, and on and on. And I don't think even with all these words, we can quite get the depth and the enduring aspect of God's love towards His people. So David is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, his, he will not want, and his goodness and mercy will follow me. And it is his enduring love of God is going to keep him past the days of his life. So he finishes verse 6 by saying, the second part says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So once the days of his life on this earth is over, David has this hope that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's using the imagery of God's temple, God's house. But the, the temple and tabernacle on this earth was just a temporary one, but it was also a shadow of something eternal in heaven. And that's why Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle exactly according to the pattern that he saw from God. There is an eternal house, and David declares, when my days of my life on this earth is over, the goodness and mercy of God will lead me to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will be with God in a place of eternal joy. And so these are the two things that sandwiches the rest of the song. So now we go to the uh, meat of the sandwich, verse 2 through 5. So in these three verses, uh, four verses, David is talking about three blessings. He's talking about God's provision, he's talking about God's presence, and God's uh, preparation. So first, God's provision. Let's look at verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, you can almost feel the emphasis in these two verses on the word he. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. So the emphasis in these two verses is on Yahweh. And uh, David, being a shepherd, he probably knew that sheep usually don't lie when they see, lie down when they see green pastures. Especially if they're hungry, they're going to keep eating to satisfy their hunger. So the fact that David says, he makes me lie down, so what he's trying to communicate is that not just Yahweh, his shepherd, feeds him, but he feeds him to the full. He's content. He's happy. He's resting. And the, uh, the Lord leads him beside still water. You know, when I read this verse, it reminded me of still water. Minnesota, I wonder if it came from this. The water is still. There is no turbulence. It's perfect for sheep to drink without any fear or being troubled. And by making them lie down in green pastures and leading beside still water, the Lord is refreshing the soul of David. He feels refreshed, restores my soul. He is content and full of joy. 
and peace. And in verse 4, talks about God's presence. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, David uh, is expressing his confidence in Yahweh to lead him in right kinds of paths, paths of righteousness, and not uh, in paths of wickedness for his name's sake. Again, the emphasis is, he leads me. You know, sheep usually tend to go astray, just like the song that we sang, we are prone to wander. And and that's why shepherds have sheepdogs, to keep the sheep from straying. But here we see the confidence that David has. It's not in himself, but his confidence is in Yahweh. He will lead me in paths of righteousness. So saints, we also don't have the ability on our own to stray, to stay true to God on the right path. Be prone to wander as well. And we need the help of our Savior, the Good Shepherd, to lead us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's why J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, he says, Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. I need not torment myself with the fear that my faith may fail. As grace led me to the faith in first place, so grace will keep me believing to the end. Amen? What comfort. And second, David says when he is going through this dark valley, Yahweh is with him. He doesn't fear evil because the Lord is with him. See, now you can notice the change in person, right? Instead of saying he, now he's addressing God directly. You are with me. He's talking to Yahweh. And he's not only talking about death, but death-like situations, the shadow of death. Like we've all, and some of you are probably being in those situations when you thought you were about to die. But when we go through these dark circumstances, we can be confident that God, our good shepherd, is with us. He has promised not to leave us, nor forsake us. In Isaiah 43, he says, when we pass through the waters, he is with us. And finally, David um, finds source of comfort in the Lord's rod and staff. The staff is what is used to keep the sheep on the passes that curve long um, rod uh, or stick. And the rod is the offensive weapon that is used against threats like predators, like animals. And so he finds comfort in Yahweh, that his rod and his staff will keep him safe and leading him on the right paths. And finally, in verse 5, we talk about God's preparation. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He continues his conversations with God directly. You prepare a table before me. And you anoint my head with oil. And because of that, my cup overflows. Now, the commentators have different opinions of what does, what does this verse mean. Uh, is he still in the uh, metaphor of shepherd and sheep? Or has he switched gears here? And some of them say, uh, you know, it's the uh, preparing of the table is like a victory 
that when a king has over his enemies, he celebrates the victory by uh, enjoying a feast in the presence of his captive enemies. And some of them say the anointing of head with oil could be what the shepherd does to the sheep to keep it away from the, flying, the flies and, 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 the inf- and the insects. So it's not entirely clear what David is meaning here, but uh, this is just my personal opinion. I think this refers to the time when David was actually anointed with oil. This happened when Samuel arrived to his father's house with the horn of anointing oil after the death of Saul. And guess what David was doing at that time? He was tending his father's sheep. His father thought that one of his older brothers is going to be the king, and he didn't even bother to invite David to the party. But at Samuel's request, Jesse sends word for David to come home. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now you can see the parallel uh, in the words between verse 5 and uh, in Psalm 23 and this verse. The horn of oil, the anointing, the presence of Obviously, it's not enemies, but it's his brothers. But you can imagine the attitude of his brothers when they saw him in the battlefield with Goliath. They were not too happy to see him, right? And the cup overflowing could be uh, him referring to the anointing of the Spirit of the Lord being coming powerfully upon David. And so, and he finishes that with the last verse, God's goodness and mercy because of what Yahweh does to David, his goodness and his mercy will follow him, and he will be with the Lord God forever. Now, as we take a step back out of Psalm 23, we see that David was not the only one who experienced God as his shepherd in the Old Testament. We don't have time to go and look in detail, but actually the first person to call or address God as his shepherd was Jacob in Genesis 48. And in Psalm 78, God is also described as the shepherd of the nation of Israel. He, le- he led his people like sheep out of Egypt and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He defeated their enemies in the Red Sea and drove out the nations before them in the land of Canaan. And he safely brought them and established them like in green pastures in the promised land. So you see the similarities of Psalm 23 uh, also uh, in Psalm 78 when it talks about God, Yahweh, as a shepherd of Israel. So now this is all great, right? God was a shepherd to Jacob and David individually, and he was a shepherd to the nation of Israel corporately. But now how do we apply this psalm to our lives? The answer is the Sunday school answer, Jesus Christ. Amen? In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And in verse 16, he's talking about you and me. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, Jews and Gentile, one shepherd. 
Amen? So this, here Jesus is bringing us as His sheep and bringing us into the fold of one flock under one shepherd, Jesus Christ. And first, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, um, verse 24 and 25, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen? So that's how uh, now we can join with David in singing Psalm 23 and addressing Jesus as our shepherd. Amen? But there is also something beautiful in the context of Psalm 23. If you look at Psalm 23, it's uh, sandwiched between Psalm 22 and 24. And all three are messianic psalms. And Psalm 22 is, the, is about Jesus suffering on the cross, where he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 24 is talking about the coming King, the Messiah. Lift up ye gates for the King of kings, the King of glory. And so right between in the middle of 22 and 24 is Psalm 23. In Psalm 22, we see Jesus on the cross. And in Psalm 24, we will see Jesus as a coming king in the future. But Psalm 23 is the present-day ministry of Jesus to us as his shepherd. Amen? So Jesus, just like David talked about Yahweh, he is our shepherd. He is leading us besides uh, making us lie down in green pastures and leading us beside still waters. He is with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And He prepares a table before our enemies and He anoints us with oil. He anoints us, fills us with the Holy Spirit, baptizes us with Holy Spirit. And His goodness and His mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And His steadfast love, when our days on this life is over, His mercy will lead us to make us dwell in His house forever and ever in eternity with Jesus. Amen? And that's why uh, Jesus said uh, in Luke 24, when He was talking to His disciples, Luke 24, verse 44, He says, Then He said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Psalm 23 is about Jesus. And we can experience Him as our shepherd. See, Jesus had to go through the experience mentioned in Psalm 22 so we can experience Him as our shepherd in Psalm 23. He was condemned so we can be accepted into His fold as His sheep. He was forsaken so we can be saved. And He came to seek us and save the lost, the straying sheep. His soul was restless so we, He can restore our souls. He walked literally through the valley of the shadow of death so He can be with us forever. Amen? And the beautiful thing is, God, Jesus is not only our shepherd now, but in Revelation 7, verse 17, we read this. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, 
and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the hope, that's the hope that we have, church. Jesus is our shepherd who came seeking us, our stray sheep, when we were gone stray, and He has made us into His flock, and one day He will be our eternal shepherd in heaven and wipe every tear from our eyes. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are our good shepherd. We thank you that you came in search of us. When we were lost and lonely, gone astray, you came to seek and save the lost. Father, we thank you. Thank you for reminding us of your heart towards us. Help us to be reminded that no matter what happens in our lives, on this earth, that you will never leave us or forsake us. You are always there with us. Even though we might not see with our physical eyes, we can trust you and your promise in your word that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us and we don't have to fear any evil. Lord, there might be many here today among us who needed this reminder that you are our good shepherd. Lord, I pray that your peace and your comfort would flood our hearts this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we be filled with the hope that your goodness and mercy shall follow us, shall pursue us, and never give up until we see you face to face in eternity. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.